morning, FCS fans. Welcome to the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. I am David Hassagan. To my left, Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook. Emery, good morning. Good morning, man. You said to your left like the folks out there can see you. I mean, there might be a camera anywhere. I mean, <laughs> you never know. In this year's, in this 2017's NSA, you have no idea what they can watch. So, <laughs> intrigue. <laughs> definite intrigue. Folks, hope, we hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, I was, at, you know, we were both fortunate enough to have Thanksgiving with our families and really enjoy a very special weekend, a great weekend of football um, at all levels. But in the FCS, it was round one of the playoffs. And we will get to the playoffs in a minute. But, folks, don't forget, you can listen to us. Not You don't have to listen to us just one time. You can listen to us multiple times. All the know, time. Like two, three times in a row consecutively. Or maybe that's just me. <laughs> you can search on iTunes, Football Game Plan Podcast. Give us that five-star rating and subscribe to our channel for all of your football game plan knowledge. Also, go to footballgameplan.com slash kickoff. Go to youtube.com slash footballgameplan for all of your football game plan content. Emery's always got some great stuff. And now that we're getting past the regular season into the postseason, we're starting to get into scouting, too. So any of you draft nerds out there like I am, that's the place to go. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at the FCS Kickoff, at FCS Open Drive, and FBall Game Plan. So we're going to start off the show today, folks. We're going to do a little bit, little bit of a switch up here because the main event is the postseason. But we got to talk about what I like to call pink slip week. And once the regular season ends, I mean, you're seeing it all over college football, heads start to roll. And let's just go through these, Emery, real quick. And let's talk about the changes that have been made. We're going to start with Alabama A&M. James Spady uh, fired after four seasons, four and seven record this year. Surprised? Yeah, not really, because you kind of saw that coming, man. They, they just couldn't really get on track. I mean, he has brought in some really good recruiting classes. So the next coach should be set up for success. They couldn't really figure out their quarterback situation. I do think they this past recruiting class, they had some gems in there, and they started a freshman out there this year. So, uh, but you have to start getting wins, and that's important. Unless you're, you, you, unless you start to see growth, like we always talked about uh, Rhode Island, how even though they were not a, a good team record-wise, right. you saw growth, just like Georgetown. Uh, but you didn't really see that from Alabama A&M. Another coaching, uh, one of the coaching legends and a player, uh, legend of the player, Monte Coleman, out of the 10 seasons, he resigned at, at the uh, head of Arkansas Pine Bluff. Three straight years, though, in last pay, last place in the division in the SWAC, but he did he decided to move on. Well, I mean, you look at the one year I want to say 2012 they won the SWAC title. And right. They were really good that year, but on either side of that, it just hadn't been successful. And I know there 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 are um, other issues at play with right. that program. You know, you deal with a lot of issues when you don't really have the the funding and stuff like that. But, you know, he, d- he did bring them a, a SWAC championship, and that should be something that's lauded. But I understand why you want to step away from it. You know, it, it can get it can wear on you. I think it was 40 and 70. Yeah, it, yeah, 40 and 71. Uh, and, again, three straight years in last place, uh, especially when you've had the success. I think I think that was a good move uh, by Monte, just to, you know, take a step away and say, all right, someone else has to take control here. Uh, another guy that has been let go, uh, Kenny Carter, uh, coach at Delaware State. Three seasons, three wins, so not a total shock here. And that's another situation like Arkansas Pine Bluff, but you look at Coach Carter and you look at what happened prior to him, the previous coach had success. So I understand why they made that move, and, and we'll see if he lands somewhere else. But Delaware State's in a unique spot, man. You, you're you're sandwiched in between some really good FCS powers, and so your recruiting has to hit home. Otherwise, you're not going to have the success. Exactly. Uh, another change, Florida A&M, Alex Wood, uh, fired after three seasons as well. Uh, Rattler's moving in a different direction, or is this just – it just wasn't working? What, what was the case here, do you think? Well, once the AD left after the Morgan State game and took the job at Kennesaw State, then you saw – you That's pretty much knew the writing was going to be on the wall with Wood, and that was pretty much the, the case. He, he, he decided, you know what, my contract is, is up. I'm going to go ahead on and, and take the quick out. I think Florida A&M is ready to win whomever takes over that job. I think they have a lot of talent. He did a great job recruiting. Yeah, I always find that funny, too, how a coach has to follow an AD. You know, that's always strange to me. It's like, oh, the guy who hired me is gone. I have to leave. I mean, I I always find that a little strange. I I understand it, but at the same time, I'm like, Well, eh. look at it this way. It's like uh, in pro football when the new coach comes in, they want their own quarterback. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. so because if I'm gonna, you know, ride or die with this team, 
I want to ride or die with the guys that I brought in, you know. So an AD is basically saying, if my job is tethered to the wins and losses of this coach, I want to at least bring the coach that I think could move this program forward. Absolutely. Uh, another uh, midseason change, but we want to talk about it anyway. Uh, a staple in the in the uh, Patriot League, Tom Gilmore out at Holy Cross. That was uh, shocking when that came across. Yeah, that was that was a bit of a. I mean, fourteen seasons. You know, seventy two and eighty one, but about brought about five hundred in the in the Patriot League. Um, was this just a case of I've had enough, I gotta go? I think the alum alums out there, they ex, they expect, you know, guys to win. And you know what? Holy Cross, I think it can be that FCS version of Boston College. I mean, there's a reason mm. why Boston College and Holy Cross had that that rivalry in yeah. football. Um Holy Cross is a really good program. And I, I think, you know, Gilmore did a lot of good things. You know, he had them competitive. He won a couple of Patriot League uh, titles. You know, talent was there and is there. So I was shocked when I heard that move. I was doing actually the Georgetown game, and in between commercial breaks, we were like, man, Tom Gilmore fired. We were like, what? And so it was yeah. just crazy. Uh, one that shocked me, though, uh, coming out of the big sky, Bob Stitt out at Montana uh, after three seasons, uh, 21 and 14, which is a good record, but. Obviously, with the expectations of that program, you talk about expectations, it's pretty high with the Grizz. And after losing to Montana State, I think that was the final straw. And it's tough because we talked about this last episode that stit happens. You know what I'm saying? His <laughs> offense was apparently. exciting to watch. Literally, apparently. <laughs> Literally, right? Um, I thought he was going to be there for a long, at least a decade. You know, and it's yeah. it's unfortunate because I, I really like his offense. I really like how competitive Montana was week in week out they just couldn't get defense going this year offensively they were where they needed to be but again this is a team that's ready um, and tailor made for the next coach to step in and take over another team another coach gone uh, John Butnansek of Robert Morris gone after four seasons again only eight wins though over those four seasons so again it looks like just another time for a change not totally shocked here either at all and, and you look at the NEC I mean over the course of let's say Five five years, right? Yeah. Uh, we've seen St. Francis in the playoffs. We've seen uh, Sacred Heart in the playoffs. We've seen Wagner in the playoffs. We've seen uh, Bryant in the playoffs. And Bryant <laughs> started. So everyone has had their shot except Robert Morris. So and the alums are screaming. Exactly. And you can win in the NEC, you know. And so I think that's why they had to make that move. Two on the moves we want to talk about here, folks. Uh, Northwestern State, Jay Thomas uh, has resigned after uh, five seasons. Um, twenty-one and thirty-six, not a bad record, but just not good enough. Especially with that program, man. That's one of those. I I, I like Northwestern State. You know, I think the Demons have a proud history. Um, they were always one of those teams in the Southland that that you didn't want play. And, and I think you know that's a team that that has that sleeping giant, uh, you know, mentality, right. and rightfully yeah. so. I think they can get back to it, and they've already hired their guy in Brad Laird. And one other guy we want to talk about. I know you were a little surprised with this one. I wasn't completely given the record, but Marcus Satterfield out at Tennessee Tech uh, after a one in ten season after two years. Um, you you said you were surprised by this move. I didn't. I wasn't really very surprised, man, because he had a lot of fanfare coming in. And when a guy has that fanfare and has that pedigree, you're going to give him every opportunity to turn this thing around. And it's unfortunate that it only lasted what two seasons, three two seasons. seasons. Yeah. So that tells you that. Maybe uh, they were butting heads within the org- – not organization, but within the program. Yeah. Um, so they had to make a move. And I, I just think that that's a tough way to get him out because I thought they showed signs of life last year, not this past season. Exactly. I, and I think that's why I'm not totally shocked. When you start five and six, I think you're, you know, you're given a leash. I'm a little surprised by the length of the leash there that he was given, um, you know, especially with the new coach in the root program when you have not – success but a good season to start off with I would I would have expected at least a couple more years but when you go one in ten off of that I mean there's not that much turnover right from one year to another um, but certainly we wish all these guys the best uh, I'm sure we'll see a lot of them end up somewhere else uh, John Benazic actually retired so he, that, he might be that might be the career for him uh, but certainly I think we'll see a lot of these guys ending up in jobs somewhere uh, if not in the FCS, in the FBS level as an uh, assistant or something like that. So we wish them all the best. But now it's time to move on from the gloom and doom. It's time to get into the playoffs. And we're talking about all of this. But before we get there, actually, we're going to talk about the Bayou Classic. And again, this is you said it. This is one of your favorite games of the year. It's always entertaining. It's always a close game. 
And this one was going to be a duel between quarterbacks. Kincaid versus Howard. And Kincaid got the better on the day. Didn't make mistakes. Grambling wins 30-21 to over Southern. And it was a tight one, too, because Southern had a lead in this ball game. And, and when you're looking at, let's say, from a projection standpoint, you kind of you already penciled in Grambling for the SWAC title game and right. also the Celebration Bowl. All of that would have been haywire if <laughs> – Southern would have won that Total game. Total chaos. Total chaos. It would have been Southern versus Alcorn, and Southern possibly, or Alcorn possibly, going to Atlanta to play North Carolina A&T. Which A&T so, is looking at and saying, yes. Give us, give us, give yes. us Alcorn and give us Southern, right? <laughs> Anybody but Crambley Exactly. You know, but at least for at least one more week, we get uh, closer to that matchup between Grambling and A&T. Now, yeah. In this game, you saw two things. Two things I, I took away from this. One, Martez Carter is a legit pro prospect. Tailback from Grammar. We knew okay. this going in. Yeah. And two, Austin Howard showed enough promise to where he should get at least an invite to an NFL training camp to prove his worth. I know they're going to knock him because of his size. He's like 5'11", yeah. 205 pounds, but size is not a skill. Um, but I do think he has the pure passing uh, talents to at least compete in the preseason. Right. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think the tone was really set though. First play of the game, Southern's got the ball. Blitz comes right up the matter middle. Howard gets absolutely drilled and throws a pick. As soon as that happened, I, I'm tur- I I turned to my dad and I'm like, "That's not a great start for Southern. They need all the help they can get going into this." But you know, as you said, with a rivalry game like this, it's always going to be close. But Grambling showed, a, I think, the control that they have all year long. Despite this being a closer game and Southern definitely giving them a test, Grambling was never really in danger of, oh, this is going to flip. They just had a massive momentum shift. They remained calm, they stayed composed, and they took care of business. So going into this game with Alcorn, I mean, we'll talk about this later on in the show when we talk about the previews. Grambling's in a great spot going into this swag Take care of business. Game. Just take care of business, get to the Celebration Bowl, and then lose to A and T. Oh, now now see now that's now I like how you threw it out there because that's going to be the one that's going to generate a lot of debate because that's going to be a great game. This is going to be a, a, it's if it be happens. A, if it happens, all, all corns right now. Hey, <laughs> exactly. We're, we're here too. I'm in the corner. What's wrong with you? But no. But if we're being honest, nobody wants to watch A and T and all corn again. <laughs> we saw that already. We, you know, we saw that in 2015. Grambling, take care of Mrs. Exactly for, for all of our sanities. All right, round one, playoffs. Let's talk it. Let's talk playoffs. We had a lot of anger last week. We were talking <laughs> about snubs and who didn't belong. Then the games get played. And then, well, that's all you can think about. Let's start with one of the teams that we didn't think deserved to get in, UNH. They, again, they got the early Christmas present. They got a home game against a conference champion. Central Connecticut State gets hamstrung. Their quarterback gets suspended. Four or five days before the game is supposed to happen. Right after this show, we found out that he was suspended. And you're just like, well, isn't that convenient? <laughs> right. um, New Hampshire wins 14 nothing, And this is what we said it was going to be. It was going to be a knockdown, drag-out fight in the Northeast, in the, in the cold. And um, New Hampshire took care of business. Give their defense credit. Yes. You know. Yes. Both defenses. Because I'm pretty sure Central Connecticut State, when they found out Dogala wasn't going to play – and and I understand Coach Rosamondo suspending him. You got you have to, yeah, because you can't let that can't let it slide. You can't let it slide. You got to show your team like, hey, I don't care if you're the starter, and we're going to a playoff game. If you violate team rules, you're gone. I yeah. I totally understand it from that standpoint. But the players are probably thinking like, can you give him the Baker Mayfield suspension? Yeah, let him slide suspension <laughs> where you're you're gone for like one series. Oh, that's really gonna teach him a lesson. Uh, I, I, I mean, uh, you it said hurt though, them. Yeah. They're off. They got shut out. They got shut out. I mean, they and they showed a lot of. They had a lot of chances. They had that blocked field goal, um, which put them in great field position. But you talked about UNH's defense, and this is why experience does a lot of good in the postseason. Eleven tackles for loss mm-hmm. for the UNH defense as a team. That's very, very tough to overcome as a, not a high-powered offense. And, and and credit Trevor Knight as well too. Uh, you know, nearly three hundred yards passing. Um, he did what he had to do. We knew he was talented, but that Blue Devils defense did their best to try to keep them they out did. the end zone. They and, did. and they played hard, but this is what happens when you don't play without your starting quarterback. Yes, and I do think they did expose UNH, though, because, again, this is Central Connecticut, and they only won 14 nothing. Right. 
I mean, and and people Trev- talk about the the CAA versus the NEC and calm calm down. You're right. I know. I'm getting ahead of myself. Don't get off the script. <laughs> We're gonna get there eventually. Um, but Trevor Knight, a decent game again, almost 300 yards, 299. Uh, Malik Love, 10 catches for 123. He had a, a really nice game. And uh, Quinlan Dean was the star on the defensive side of the ball. 12 tackles, including a pick, two interse- uh, three tackles for loss as well. He was a player of the game, in my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, so UNH moves on to the next round. We'll break down the second round a little bit later on. Let's talk about the other team that we thought was a little questionable, although I think we could, you could easily make the argument that they were the last team in, Northern Iowa. They ended up with a game against Monmouth. We thought this could be a close game. We actually uh, we said, you know, can they cover – Monmouth's offense, right in the dome, ideal conditions. They did more than cover Monmouth's offense; they smothered Monmouth's offense, forty-six-seven to the Panthers in the dome. I knew this was going to be a problem after the first series. Once, remember, we talked about on the show last week if Kenji Bahar can protect the football, they'll win. And he threw an intercept on yeah. that first series. Yep. So right then and there, that was that started the onslaught and. They just couldn't get out there weight number one, but Northern Iowa really went out there and dominated these guys from start to finish. Yeah, and again, you talk about, again, it's the experience of playoff football. It is a different environment. You have to play a different way. And when you had Eli Dunn playing the way he was, very efficient with the football, four touchdowns. Uh, Javion Browning with 14 carries for 136. That's almost 10 yards a carry. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to give a team like that that many opportunities that's the thing with northern iowa they haven't really in the conference that they play and they don't get a lot of help you know you don't see a lot of mistakes coming out of the missouri valley when you play against these top teams you can't you can't have and those you mistakes. Can, and you see what happens when you do and monmouth learned in a very very harsh way they got blasted and, and it was yeah. crazy is that um northern iowa's passing game was impressive yes you, you know i know northern iowa can run the football um Dory's Fountain, what a game yeah, he had, he, too. He was balling. He's Whew. a pro prospect. He's he's a pro prospect now for a lot of people. Oh, I'll my goodness. He was, he was legit on fire. Ten catches for 139 and two scores. Um, and, and, again, we talked about this with the two teams that we kind of thought, you know, were kind of slipped in by the committee. You know, do you have the attitude of it's nice to be here or the need to prove that you belong here? And New Hampshire, they were happy to be there. Right. And they still got the win somehow. Northern Iowa needed to prove that they belonged, and they did yeah. in a big way. They, like, really put it out there on Front Street, like, you know what? We are – there's a reason why we constantly beat Iowa State. Yeah. You know, this is why. That's it. Let's go do a couple of games that were rematches from the regular season, a couple of revenge-style games, and revenge is best served cold. Oh. And – it happened to both. Furman, let's start with them. They beat Elon 28-27. We asked the question, which teams would show up? And both teams showed up in a good way in this game. Furman wins on a blocked extra point. And people always undercredit, oh, special teams. Uh, if you get a kickoff return, that means if you make a good defensive special teams play, that means just as much. And it proved it because that that's what decided the game. And you know what's interesting? And when, when you have that happen to you, you tend to look at the entire game and look at missed plays. There was a play, I want to say it was maybe the second quarter or third quarter, where Elon off a of play action hit the tight end. He was literally wide open. There was no one near him for yeah. about 90 yards. Mm-hmm. He may still have been running. <laughs> he dropped the ball. Uh, and that right there is a lost touchdown opportunity. You yeah. know, you But you see on the flip side – Furman off a of play action hit their big wide receiver slash tight end. He catches it and outraces everyone to the end zone for a touchdown. Because right. Elon had some control in this game. They did, and, and that's what we were talking about: is that who could control the clock? Yep. And Elon, for a majority of this game, did control the game, and they had it in their hand. They that last score where the extra point was blocked. That was the last score of the game, and they still had twelve minutes. Yep. And they just couldn't finish. Uh, Furman, though, PJ uh, Blazikowski. Great game all around from him. Dual threat quarterback, accounting for three touchdowns. And Andy Shumpert, uh, four catches for 89 and two scores. Absolutely huge day for him. And Furman, 
we talked about that. We, they had that nice run at the end of the regular season, then lost to Samford, and you're like, all right, how are they going to drop off? Are they going to come back from this? They came back just fine, and now they got an in-conference matchup in the second round. Well, and, and for Elon, this has been the story all season long. They've all played. They've always played close games. Yeah, every game, outside of the FBS opponent they played, all their games have been close. So this was par for the course, and you figured that at some point close games would catch up with you. It did in this one, albeit it was kind of fluky. You know, the blocked extra point. Yeah. However. You still had enough minutes left in that game to really mount something. Plenty of time. Um, And, again, we talked about those missed opportunities. Those things tend to add up. That's why you have to really fight hard for an entire 60 minutes. Another revenge game that we had in the first round was the rematch between Kennesaw State and Sanford, the Big South champions, taking on the uh, second-place team out of the SoCon. And Kennesaw State, we said they might make some noise. They did more than make some noise. 28-17 over the Bulldogs. They made it a business trip. It wasn't a holiday. It was a business trip, and they took care of business. Man, they dominated that game, too. There were a couple of plays, too, uh, where the running back broke out. I want to say it was like an 80-yard run and yeah. fumbled at the three-yard line, and Sanford recovered. You know, so <laughs> Come but, on, man. Right, exactly. <laughs> Come Ken- on. Kennesaw State just looked dominant on defense. That was the most impressive part. I knew their offense, because of how they run, were going to have some success because it's uncommon. But, yeah. my goodness, their defense is what really stood out to me. They were forcing three and outs. They were uh, getting big hits on the receivers. They were really curtailing a lot of the success that Sanford had known coming into this game. And they also started to hit some plays in the passing game, uh, knowing that they were run-heavy offense. So, this was a complete game, well-coached game by Kennesaw State. And they went out there and really dominated from start to finish. And you talk about the dagger, though. You talk about that defense. The interception return for a touchdown by Akebren Rawls right in the fourth quarter. That was an absolute killer in this game. Um, Also finished with seven tackles. He had himself a pretty good day out of the secondary. But you talk about Sanford and their success, and that was Devlin Hodges. Could you contain – you can't really contain Devlin Hodges. He's one of these quarterbacks that you know he's going to get yards on you. It's kind of – like I had a friend that worked with the Cleveland Indians for a little while, and he said, you know, when you were playing Manny Ramirez – in his prime, you knew he was going to get two or three hits off. Of you, right. But you just had to make sure no one else did. And what you see here, I mean, you look at the stat line for Hodges, it doesn't make much sense. 30, 39 of 66, 396. As soon as you see that, see that 396 number, you're thinking, okay, he put up some scores. One touchdown. One touchdown one. through the air. So you throw for all those yards, you get down to the end, you can't put it away. And, again, you talk about Kennesaw's defense. They just absolutely contained him. Bryson Armstrong, 16 tackles in this game. Had himself a hell That's of a day. That's your guy. He, you, you talked about him last I, episode. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> this kid is for real. 16 tackles again. And you held him in check, and that was enough to get the job done. Let's move on to the wild game, though, of this weekend, and that was South Dakota versus Nichols. Down in the bayou, down in Thibodeau, and you said this could be a wild one. You said this could be because they play the same game, and you talk about how, oh, Nichols wins the close games. Well, they had a close game, and South Dakota usually isn't used to this. They got the job done in an absolutely wild quarterback duel in this one. Three interceptions by Chase 4K. Yep. That's the difference. No TDs. No TDs, three intercepts. That's the difference. You cannot turn the ball over, man. And you can't turn the ball over three times. And a lot of those were just bad interceptions. It wasn't like, you know, a a situation where the ball bounced off the receiver's face and into the hands of a defensive back. They were overthrows, just bad reads. And it it really killed their momentum because if you watch the game, Nichols had – plenty of opportunities to score they were moving the football and they did score they were moving well well against this defense and that is the other concern for me about South Dakota remember they lost three straight games going into the playoffs yeah and I you know I already knew that was an issue going up against an offense like Nichols and how they play like I said before they play the same game but when you turn the ball over you give a guy like Chris Streveler who's in the uh, running for the Walter Payton award more opportunities with the football don't and do he it. gets hot. Don't do it. Don't do it. You go. He and he makes you pay. He was he was accurate as hell throwing a football. Four touchdowns, uh, three seventy eight through the air for Chris Trevler. and you know what he can bring to the table every single week. And this is, I think, the only way South Dakota is going to have any chance of making a run here is if he can just light up the scoreboard. 
he'll have an opportunity in the second round to do the same thing with even less of a challenge, in my opinion, uh, which could make for a absolutely ridiculous scoreline in the second round against Sam Houston. Again, we'll break that down. Uh, but you're right. I mean, Chase 4K, if you look at his numbers, he didn't have a bad day, really, except for the interceptions. 21 for 35 for 232 is not bad. As soon as you move pan over a little bit to the right, TD zero. Oh, three oh no. intercepts. That that's uh, <laughs> no. That's, you, <laughs> no. Uh, even if you even if you take those three intercepts away, and say out of those three intercepts, they come away with ten points. They win by three. Yeah, and again, it's just a question of you can't make mistakes in playoff ball because every team is good. Talk about um, another wild game. Back on the East Coast, Stony Brook versus Lehigh. And what we said in the preview for this one last week, all the offense, <laughs> all the points. Well, one team showed up for all the points, and you were asking, would Lehigh's defense show up? No, but Stony Brook's did for, for once, and this is a crazy score, 59-29 in the playoffs. Stony Brook handles Lehigh. And it came it, – it, it, it felt like a, a heavyweight fight, you know, where – the first round, they're trying to fill each other out. Nobody's really throwing punches. And then all of a sudden, the last three minutes of round 12, or last two minutes of round 12, or minute and a half, you know sure. what I mean? Let's, let's yeah, just let's keep, keep, li- <laughs> keep limiting it down. All the, all the punches come in, right? Yeah. And that's what happened. And credit Lehigh's defense for showing up in the first quarter. And then they took the bus home. Exactly. So we did our job. Like, offense supposed to score 30. But it didn't happen. And Stony Brook, once again, got off to a great start, man. And Bedell did play and played very well. Exactly. And well, I, six rushing touchdowns for Stony Brook. Um, <laughs> absolutely unreal on the ground. But, again, another great game by Joel Carbone. And I don't know if they have a most improved player award for he college football. He should get it. He deserves it. Because this kid, I mean, you talked about it a few weeks ago. This guy was, you know, if you look at the ranks of quarterbacks in the CAA and maybe the league, he was way down on the list, way, way down. He has improved so much, threw for 268 and two scores, didn't turn the ball over, um, was very smart with the football. Um, Lehigh just, they, I mean, they had plenty of offense themselves. Brad Mays had himself a game, too, going for 333 and three scores. Uh, they had two receivers with, with double digits and catches. But when you can't stop anybody, it's not going to help. It is pointless if you can't stop anybody. I know we've been saying the same thing. All season long, and you would think at some point they get it together and figure something out, but they really couldn't get the defense together all season. Credit it got them into the playoffs, but it also is the reason why they're going home in the playoffs as well. Exactly. The shock of the weekend, I think, for me was the link game: San Diego at Northern Arizona, another dome. Why you need a dome in Arizona? I have no idea, unless it's for <laughs> sandstorms. But the Toreros. Do it again. Last year it was Cal Poly, and that was okay. But you know, Cal Poly, it's an it's a decent it's an team. Option team. You really option, only got to yeah. stop the run. They hand they put the wood on Northern Arizona. The, the Lumberjacks couldn't split anything on this one. Forty-one ten, San Diego Pioneer League represent in the first round. I don't think anybody saw this one coming. The shock of this game for me was how Anthony Lawrence outplayed Case Cookies. Cook I'm not is, shocked. You're not, well, I've, you covered a Pioneer League. I've seen Anthony Lawrence all year long, and the number of times I've had to say his name because he had a ridiculous performance in the league, it, it, I, I'm not shocked at all. Now, the question was, was going to be, when he gets out of conference, how does he do? He had, a, he had a low game by his standards, and look what he ended up doing. But that's the other part, too, that just blew me away is because that's what I was worried, worried about. Out of conference, how would they do? Because they struggled in their out of conference matchups during the season. And for me, it was mostly about how will they do up front because that's the biggest mismatch. But they do have the best offensive line in the Pioneer. So they have yeah. a good offensive line. Um, but how will they match up against the, the uptick in talent and depth outside of the Pioneer League? They dominated up front yeah, in a running game and also gave Lawrence a lot of time back there to throw the football. And they just completely dominated on both sides of the ball. I was impressed. And Emilio Martinez, another 100-yard game. I think he's had seven or eight of those this year. He's been a force, uh, the running back for San Diego. Also, um, what a play! What a game for Ross Dwelly. Oh. Had a, and we talked about him as a tight end prospect. And what a catch by Justin Priest. 
If you haven't seen this one, folks, going back, it looks like he's going to rob a home run. He's just leaning back. He's got one hand. Oh, I'm just going to take this. Thank you. (laughs) Um, But I think the story, you talked about it up front, and I mentioned Jonathan Peterson, defensive end from San Diego, who had a tremendous season, double digits in tackles for loss, a ton of sacks. Could they contain him? They could not. Only had four tackles, but he had two and a half for loss and two sacks. That's maximizing those four tackles. And when he wasn't getting the tackles, he was causing mayhem. And when you look into the second round, a team that liked to play around the outside, around the outside of the line, <laughs> I'm just saying that could cause some trouble. We'll get to that second round matchup later in the show. One more matchup to talk about in the first round. And this was one that you called. It was going to be a defensive struggle. Weber State, Western Illinois, a lot of unknowns. The Wildcats take care of business, 21-19. Very entertaining ball game. Yeah, it was. And I thought and Western had a, a chance late in that game to win. Uh, but I, I, the, the reason why I thought this game was going to be interesting or close is because I felt as though Weber's uh, Western Illinois' offense was sort of one-dimensional. Like, you could really take away the one receiver and kind of force them to go other ways and really focus on a running game. And that's essentially what Weber State did. And the reason why Weber State gave them problems because – they spread the ball around. They also have the, the added benefit of a quarterback that has the ability to, to get outside the pocket and create things with his legs. And they also have a good tight end who scored in this game, Anthony uh, Andrew Vollard. So they were well-balanced offensively. Defensively, Western makes it easier to defend them. Um, if you can win some of those individual battles up front, they did. They won. Not surprised. And we talked about Brett Taylor as, as part of that defensive I love Shell. Brett Taylor. 150 tackles this year, and he had 12 tackles today. It's not like he didn't show up. He just got didn't get enough help. That's the only problem when you're, you know, when you have a dominant defensive player in the second level, you need to give him some support because he's going to get like, worn out eventually. Yeah. Because he's, he's there's only number certain number of times where he can get to the ball. Although this kid has quite the motor, I think he could be a guy you could see playing on Sundays. Uh, they and, pumped out linebackers in the Missouri Valley Conference. We saw Dylan Cole play great football for. Uh, the Houston Texans before he got injured um, this year as a rookie. Exactly. And, I mean, Stephon Cantwell, great game for him, for uh, Weaver. You talked about Vollert. I mean, it was the de- weekend of tight ends. and This is a good year for tight ends. NCAA, you know, the FCS level, there are going to be a lot of scouts looking at that from the NFL, going down to this level looking for some help uh, when it comes to weapons. Folks, we're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back, we're going to have our preview of the SWAC title game, Alcorn versus Grambling, round two. And we're also going to talk myths and legends. We won't tell you what they are. It could be unicorns, could be leprechauns, <laughs> or it could be something football-related. I don't know what kind of move we're in today. Um, again, this is the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. David Hassegan here with Emery Hunt. We'll be right back after this quick break. So you've been thinking about changing careers. Well, now's the perfect time to check out Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We have nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Almost everything you hear on the radio, everything you see on television and on the internet was made by a creative team of audio and video professionals. Producers, camera operators, sound designers, these are the people who work behind the scenes to make it happen. Connecticut School of Broadcasting can help you switch from your current career path to the more exciting world of audio and video production. We've placed thousands since 19. 1964. Visit GoCSB.com, call 1-800-TV-RADIO, and come in for a studio tour. It's your chance to test drive the same equipment that's used in real radio and television studios, talk to the instructors, and meet other people who share your excitement about the radio and television industry. Listen, if you're ready for a career change, if you like the idea of working behind the scenes, come in and see what a career in broadcasting is like and see if it's right for you. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit Go. CSB.com. Welcome back to the FCS Opening Drive podcast, folks. David Hassigan here with the Czar of the Playbook, Emery Hunt. Don't forget, folks, you can listen to us on iTunes. Search Football Game Plan Podcast. Subscribe. Give us that five-star rating. We're on YouTube slash Football Game Plan on Twitter at FBall Game Plan at FCS Opening Drive at the FCS Kickoff. And go to footballgameplan.com slash FBS FCS Kickoff for all the information you can ever need. Emery, let's talk myths. Let's and, talk. And I know you, you came in you came in a little fired up. A little fired <laughs> up this morning. And we're talking about the myth that is strength of conference. And we all know, I mean, 
we all know the CAA and the Missouri Valley are better than everybody, right? I mean, am I am I wrong? Conferences never played nobody. Think about that. Everyone talks about you hear it at the SEC level. You know, you hear it. Oh, the SEC, the SEC, this SEC, that. You, even at the FCS level, there's still some elitism that goes on. Like when we talked about our playoff snubs. I don't know what you're talking about, sir. There's no, <laughs> there's no elitism here in in college football. I don't know. What, it's, it's amateur sport. Please, <laughs> go it, on. It, it is crazy because you see it all the time. Like, yeah, we talked about our playoff snubs last week, and teams that should have gotten in, who got snubbed, who shouldn't get have gotten in. People were in my mentions, like they were adding you. Ad, they were adding me, like literally adding me. Oh boy, and saying, hey. How can you say this about the Missouri Valley? They deserve all the teams in. Funny how no one talks about Indiana State. Mm. How many games they won this year? Uh, that would be zero. I exactly. Yep. And so my thing is conferences don't determine strength of teams. Quality right. of talent and coaching determine strength of teams. Right. And also, if you only focus on your own conference, if all you watch, like you can't at me and be sitting there with a North Dakota State hat on in a North Dakota State sweatshirt wearing bison uh, pants, sitting in the, the beautiful <laughs> mountain area of North Dakota talking about, nah, the Missouri Valley Conference is the toughest conference. Out there. Of course you're going to be biased. But we are national pundits. We are national, national writers, analysts, reporters, correspondents. We've seen multiple teams across the country. So if I say Weber State has a chance to beat Western Illinois or will beat Western Illinois, believe the fact that I've seen Weber State play and I've seen Western Illinois play. It's frustrating because this happens on Sunday. People in my mentions again. Uh, this was about the who, – who was – this was yesterday. This was about, I want to say, the Browns. Mm-hmm. Browns fanalist. You know, this is a problem we have now. I like that term, fanalist. Fanalist, yeah. because that's all they are. You Keyboard know, GM. Exactly. You know, guys that love their team, they're fans of the team, that now have a platform to write and talk. They're talking about Deshaun Kaiser. I'm like, the guy played well. It's clear that they don't have receiving options. Now, he just got back Corey Coleman. He's going to get back Josh Gordon next week. Right. They finally started to realize Duke Johnson is dangerous with the football. And they have two good tight ends, one from Princeton, FCS, and Seth DeValve, who caught a great pass yesterday, and David Njoku, who they drafted out of Miami this year as a rookie. So he's going to have more weapons. They're playing without Joe Thomas. The offensive line isn't what we thought it was going to be in the preseason, I mean, you know, prior to the season. So I've said, like, hey, if, you watch, if you're watching the Browns and you say that Sean Kaiser is the problem as a 21-year-old rookie, then you don't know football. Fanalist in my mentions. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I watch the game every week. I watch every play every week. Like Through all colored glasses. Right, because if I cover the freaking NFL too, <laughs> and you think before I make a statement that I hadn't watched the games, w- what the hell? That's the same thing with these with these strength of conferences stuff. Like, oh, well, you, had, you just hadn't seen uh, Northern Iowa play. I have seen Northern Iowa play. I've also seen Monmouth play, and Monmouth has a lot of talent. Yeah. So – Here's why I think Monmouth has a shot. I mean, that's what we do the segment at the end of the show where where are you going to be every week? And it's not at, on the couch. You're at two or three games a week. I know that. And I, some of it's D2. You know, I get that. But, right. And some of it's – but you're there and you're watching. the. And I think what the I think where this comes from, you know, obviously there are blue blood programs. Right. You know, and some teams rightfully so have to put on a pedestal. JMU, good for a long North time. North Dakota State. North Dakota State, good for a long time. I think where this comes from is they're the ones winning the national titles. Right. North Dakota State won five in a row. JMU won last year. But it was funny what happened when Eastern Washington got some success. Oh, that was a fluke. Right. It was a one-off. They had, oh, they had, must have had a decent class. That would be good for a couple of years, but then they're not going to be that good anymore. Which, I mean, technically this year could be backed up. But, but do you, did you hear uh, an onslaught of, oh, well, the big sky is, you know, they deserve nine teams in? No. Yeah, I mean, and we talked. We even made we made a case for the Ohio Valley. Exactly. We made. I mean, you have Austin P, who stood up to three FBS teams and almost beat one of them. Um, you have Eastern Illinois, who's, I believe they came. They came close to beating Northern Illinois. They came at a pretty good season. They had a couple teams in that conference that are beating FBS opponents. 
So how can you go out and say, oh, the Ohio Valley is weak? Is it not as strong as, you know, the CAA? Maybe not. Maybe it doesn't have the depth. You cannot disqualify a team from where they play. I mean, Lehigh, yeah, okay, they were 5-6. and They can throw the ball. They don't have much defense. Fair enough. If that was if that was not Lehigh and that was Colgate, State, Colgate, Colgate wins that football game. Bingo. By a mile and a half, it wouldn't have even been close. But now it's the whole. Oh well, you see, UNA shut out Le- shut out uh, Central Con- uh, Central Connecticut. That, that's they beat a conference champion. So obviously, no, no. Central Connecticut lost their quarterback to a suspension. Still almost beat them, and they only put up 14 points. Didn't Colgate win a national championship in, like, 2005 or something like that? Something like that. They won a championship and also had a Walter Payton Award winner in Jamal Branch. So it's obvious that a championship caliber team, and what, two years ago, Colgate won two games in the playoffs, I believe? Yeah. So – I can see two championship teams coming out of the Southland this year. Exactly. Central Arkansas and Sam Houston State are top eight seeds for a reason. But they're being discounted just like, well, they're not going to get to the final. They have to go through a, a, a Missouri Valley team. Somebody made a case for Youngstown State deserving to be in. How? Does exactly. that person say? Well, because they play in a and They beat each other up. That's the other myth, too. Well, they play each other. Well, it's when the, when you Every team plays each other. Exactly. And when you're playing <laughs> against a stack, when you're stacking a deck, for instance, preseason, let's rank all 16 or, or 14 uh, SEC teams in the top 15. Mm-hmm. So when they start – beating one another, or they beat a ranked team. Or they beat a ranked team. You can't drop them. You can't drop this three-loss Alabama team. Look who they beat. And look, they had to play. That'll be interesting today. Exactly. Tomorrow, by the way, when they put out the college football playoff rankings, that'll be very interesting to watch. Because you know Georgia was, yes, Georgia, if you threw Georgia high up in the rankings, knowing they have a big liability at quarterback, of course when they lose a game or beat people, you go, oh, well, look, they're in the SEC. They're tough. Like, no, they're, they're one-dimensional. You stop the run, they can't beat you. And and that's the issue in the FCS. When you when you watch from uh, a national perspective and watch all these individual teams, what happens doesn't surprise you. So you're not surprised that a team like San Diego has talent. And case in point, draftable talent. Jamal Agnew was a draft pick by the Detroit Lions and has made an impact on special teams So mm. as a returner. So don't say that all the talent and all – yes, because these are teams that recruit well, they have a they have talent. The Missouri Valley Conference is very tough. Yes. But so is the Southland. So is the SOCON. So is the CAA. So how can you – that – it was just it was just frustrating. I, I, I just want to make one point before we move on here. If UNH had had the schedule that Austin P had, would that be seen as a detriment or a benefit? Well, because you know for Austin P, it was a detriment. But if it was UNH, oh, see, they played three FBS teams and they almost beat one of them. So clearly they're a good team. Austin P plays against three FCS, FBS teams, almost beats one of them, and it's a detriment to why they can't get in the playoff. But let's leave that there. You've had your rant. Are you, are you, you settled down? You yeah, because it's just dumb. It, it's, <laughs> it, I mean, and they lu- they're lucky this is not an NFL show. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what can you do? Let's move on, folks, to the – Upcoming week, again, on the FCS Opening Drive podcast presented by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Before we get to round two, let's talk about the SWAC title game. And we did a little bit of a preview of it before. Alcorn State taking on number 13, Grambling. This game is on ESPNU, 4.30 Eastern time on Saturday. This one should be over by halftime, maybe? You never know, man. Grambling loves to keep things interesting. You know, they, they're, they're all in it for the TV ratings. <laughs> to man. the migraines of their own fans. Exactly. You know, because Alcorn, here's the thing. Alcorn has a shot because they can run a ball. Um, and they got good, good defense. But we saw this game, what, two weeks ago? And Grambling beat the brakes off Alcorn. Yeah. So we possibly could see this game as, you know, a potential. But it, nothing was on the line. Alcorn knew they was going to win the East. Grambling knew they was going to win the West. They're going to meet each other again. Now you have a chance to get to a bowl game on the line. Alcorn has been. Grambling has been. They know it's at stake. They know what they're going to be in, in uh, store for when they get to Atlanta. So you may see an uptick in, in competitiveness early on. But I think, you know, at some point we'll see why Grambling is who they are. Alcorn, I think the only way they win this game, they have to control the ball in the first half. If they let this game 
get even 10 points away from them in the first half, it's over. Because yeah. Grambling will just control in the second. This, again, this ended 41-14 in the regular season. Granted, that was a few weeks ago. So we'll see what happens. But if it's the Grambling team we saw against Southern, this is not going to be a contest, and they're going to the Celebration Bowl. Round two of the playoffs. How we involve the eight seeds, the top seeds. Now things get interesting. Let's start things off um, with a regular season, another regular season rematch from the SoCon. Number seven seed Wofford will be the host against the Paladins of Furman. These two teams squared off in the regular season. Wofford only won by a point. And if you like running football, this is the game for you. This game will be an hour and a half probably. Oh, he's, I mean, you're talking about your two top 15 rushing offenses. <laughs> Furman at number 11, Wofford at number 8. I think Furman, though, this is, again, a strength versus strength because Furman's 23rd in total offense, Wofford's 19th in total defense. Wofford doesn't put up as many points as some of the other teams in the SOCON. Furman does. And Furman is a much different team than what Wofford saw in the first three weeks of the season. They went on that massive run They've gone into form, and you know they're going to be like, okay, we just survived against Elon. Let's take care of business. Furman also throws a football, too. Which Wofford definitely doesn't. Exactly. So that's something <laughs> that could doesn't. be the biggest X factor in this game. I do think um, we're in for a treat because you get to see two rushing offenses. And, and I love rematch games because – as a football junkie, you love to see what adjustments are made by the coaching staffs and what new wrinkles they're going to throw in that the other team didn't see before. So this should be another entertaining game down there in Spartanburg. Next game on the schedule, number one seed JMU. They're hosting Stony Brook. Now, we saw what Stony Brook could do on the offensive side of the ball. Granted, it's Lehigh, but six rushing touchdowns. This is another strength versus strength, though, because JMU's also got a pretty good running game. They're 18th in the country. Stony Brook is number 12 in rushing defense. Is that what's going to decide this up front in the trenches? I think it's going to come down to Joe Carbone making plays in the passing game once again. Smart because plays. It's exactly. Smart because plays. This is not the same JMU offense we saw last year. Last year they were routinely putting up 70 and 80 points on people. They're not the same explosive offense. However, their defense is good. Great. <laughs> so, yeah. It's going to be a challenge, but we'll see if Carbone in the passing game of Stony Brook is up for that challenge. That's going to be the biggest key in that game as well, too. So that's what I'm looking at. I think the thing when it comes to JMU, I mean, the only way Stony Brook, I think, has a chance is if this game stays close. If if and Because confidence will start to build up. Ten, ten points is the most they can let this game get away from them because they're going to have to make stops every single time. Almost every single time JMU gets the ball. I just don't see it happening. JMU is just too good, too, and they have a good deep, a good offense too. It's a very, it's not what they did last year, but they're still 11th in points per game in the country. So they still are a conference USA team, in my opinion, man. They should move up. They, JMU they are, should move up. They are super talented, and I think JMU, if they did move up, Central Florida could have some competition right now. Yeah, that's true. In I mean, you saw the what they AAC. did. They totally dismantled East Carolina. So I, I think this is going to be an interesting matchup. I think JMU though. The quality's too much. I think they pull away at the end. Next matchup, another game for the lovers of rushing offense. Kennesaw State. Will they pull another shock against number three seed Jacksonville State? This is going to be a great game because... I think there's some potential for some intrigue in this one for me. This one has a ton of intrigue because at what point does a team start to believe that they are supposed to win? You know, Mm -hmm. and when you're winning a lot of games, you're winning convincingly. You just came off a great win against Sanford who had the offense. I thought Sanford was going to win that game. I thought the storybook ending would have been closed and, and put put away last week. Yep. I thought Sanford was going to win. So now you you beat Sanford. You have momentum. You, you're you winning games. You're confident. You face a team that, you know, is one-dimensional in a way. Yes. Can you win those battles consistently? That's going to be the biggest game. I think this one will be one of the more uh, – Physical games of the weekend. This is going to this game. If if Furman Wofford's done in an hour and a half, this game's done in an hour fifteen. True, it's a little bit smaller turkey cooks a little bit less. <laughs> um, you're talking about the number. You have two top fifteen rushing offenses going up against each other. You also have top ten in total defense and points per game defense on both sides of the ball. This game could easily finish like six three. This is going to be just run the football, hit somebody, kick a field goal, go the other way, back and forth. I don't know how to call this one, though. 
I think an upset is on the cards. I think Kennesaw, with the belief that they have, especially winning that last game against the Samford team, that's a lot as a good passing game. This could easily be Kennesaw's day to to really make some noise and shock some people. Yeah, it, it, exactly. Because Kennesaw again, you talk about a team that's every game for them being an, uh, an upstart program has been a proven game. Yeah, you know. Oh, we don't know. Uh, you know, is, you know they, they 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 didn't play anybody as they were building this program, and we don't know how good these recruits are. But here's the thing: when you were an upstart program, you redshirt that entire first class. Mm. Now you have a bevy of seniors and juniors, guys that have played a lot of football. Um, so you have an experienced team, right. which is which is very underrated. So we'll see how this thing plays out on Saturday. Next matchup, and this one could be uh, it could be a bloodbath, but maybe not. UNH, they do now. They have to travel. Oh, do they? They travel to Central Arkansas to take on the Bears. Mike McCarthy, his his beloved Purple Bears, <laughs> number four seed. This one, if you look at what Central Arkansas has done, could be done by halftime. But UNH is a different wrinkle, something they haven't really seen before. I don't think. I know I'm supposed to sit here and make a case uh, for both teams, but it's really hard to make a case for New Hampshire against this mm. team. Because I feel as though as good, as great as Central Arkansas has been all season long, they are still being underval- undervalued yes. by national pundits, you know, uh, and people are still ignoring the Bears. I think this is going to be a statement game. And mm. we just saw, and I know you can't. You know, new team, new opponent, different matchups. But Central Connecticut State, if they had their certain quarterback, they beat New Hampshire. Yeah. So this is going to be a really tough game for the Wildcats because I think the Bears are loaded, and this is a game where they're going to try to make their name known to the masses. So if New Hampshire is going to win – they're going to have to carry that same defense, hope that same defense. But, again, this is a different matchup. This is a team that can really win up front. Their offensive line is phenomenal. So yes. the Wildcats will have to be ready to win those battles up front if they're going to win this game. You have two teams that can really sling it. I mean, you're talking top 20 passing offenses. Central Arkansas, though, is number 20 in rushing offense as well. Very right. well balanced. Um, UNH does have the 28th ranked rushing defense in the country. So does that help an advantage? I'm going to try to be devil's advocate here, though, Okay. of why UNH has a shot. Number 18 in passing offense. Central Arkansas is 72nd in passing defense. Now, I agree with you what the result of the game is going to be, but this is the way I think UNH has a chance in this game. Because Central Arkansas, this is going to be a different kind of passing offense than what Central Arkansas is used to seeing. They're used to the the Southland, long bombs, air it out, go long, track meet. New Hampshire is a lot more of a pro-style offense. It's going to be a lot of crossing routes, little middle passes, shorter passes, which if you're not used to it, if your second if your second level is not used to it, the secondary, if they try to go long, if they try to go long on New Hampshire, forget about it. I mean, like, if New Hampshire tries to go long, forget about it, you're done. They go with the middle passes, though, if the linebackers aren't ready for that. That could be where they have a little bit of trouble. I just don't see enough, though. I think Central Arkansas is too balanced. They're too strong. They're too complete of a team to have any trouble, I think. Yeah, and, and here's the thing with the, the passing numbers. It, it It's unique because when you are blowing out teams, teams got to throw to come back. Right. You probably have backups in there. So some of that you can explain away, but you do bring up a great point about the efficiency of the passing game. You don't have to always get bombs. You just have to sustain drives and keep Central Arkansas off the field. If they can do that, like I said, like you said – uh, they definitely have a chance to win. Next game, another regular season rematch. And this is another chance for some intrigue. North Northern Iowa at South Dakota State. These teams match up in the regular season, and the Panthers dominated 38-18. Is there another shock on the cards here, or is South Dakota State going to be a little bit mad going into this one? Well, you could be mad all you want. Can't you deal with what's going to happen on that field? That's going to be the biggest key. But again, like I said before, adjustments you know new wrinkles new yep. personnel new mindset playoff atmosphere winner go home you liable to see anything in this game 
but Northern Iowa has like, hey, we beat this team and we beat them bad. We beat them soundly. Uh, so that this is going to be a tough game. I think it's going to be tough for both teams. This is going to be a fun one to watch. I think South Dakota State. I mean, we know what they can do offensively. Right. We know they can fly. If Northern Iowa shows up like they did against Monmouth, though, granted they are on the road, which could make a difference. Not in their nice little cozy dome. It is a cozy dome too. It is very cozy. I mean, very very plush. Very, very plush, plush seating. Quaint. <laughs> very qu- <laughs> unlike North Dakota State, which Intimate. is just yeah. Right. <laughs> exactly. um, South Dakota State, I think, just outlasts them in this one. I think this could easily be a shootout, or it's going to be a tight game all the way down the stretch. But I think South Dakota State just has enough, and they're not going to want to get beaten twice. This is going to be a very close game. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. That might be the game to watch on the weekend. I think that's going to be this one. Although, if you like passing the ball, the real game of the weekend is this next one, South Dakota at Sam Houston. This game could easily look like a basketball score. I'm thinking 75-68. This is going to be a nutty, nutty game between these two. Now, we just made fun of Furman and Wofford and Stoney and James Madison and Kennesaw for being like an hour and a half. This game may end up playing into Sunday. (laughs) This is going to be – I mean, you look at it. I mean, Sam Houston, this team is prolific in the passing game. Number one in passing offense. Number one in total offense. Number one in points per game on offense. South Dakota is number two in total offense, number nine in passing offense, and number five in points per game. And here's the thing. They're passing defense. You would think with all this passing offense, their passing defense would be know what to do. They don't. They, they cannot stop. They can't stop air <laughs> at this point. South Dakota 101 in passing defense. Sam Houston State 103. As I said, this is, I mean, basketball season just started. People are going to get confused. Right. If this pops up on the bottom line, oh, that's an interesting game for the basketball season. No, it is not. It's a football game. This is – I could easily see this being 50 points on both sides. This is going to be wild. It's going to be a wild game, man, it, because Sam Houston State wants to get a lot of plays in. You're talking about 85 to 90 plays in a game. <laughs> and so because of that up-tempo style, Jeremiah Briscoe, I think, accepted his invite to the East-West Shrine game. Um, so he's going to be playing all-star football. He's also a candidate for the Walter Payton Award as well. Chris Trebler, we talked about him. So you got two great quarterbacks in this game, two high-flying offenses, which defense can you trust? P.J. Hall is a really great defensive player for Sam Houston State, a guy that should be at an all-star game. I, I want to say he should be at any one of the three, NFL, PA, yeah. Shrine Game, Senior Bowl. Um, so which defense can you trust will be the answer to your question in this one. I do believe we'll see a lot of points scored, and this one could end up, like I said, playing into Sunday because of all the passing and all the plays and all the time that's not going to be wasted off the clock. By the way, the answer to that question is which defense you can trust. The answer is neither. So that's <laughs> why the game will be played until Sunday. Although I will say this. Both teams have a decent rushing attack that's very underrated. So it's a question mark there of can you control, again, controlling the game and having that last possession or having a little bit more time on the field is going to be what determines this. And if any, either running back, I mean, Sam Houston's got a decent guy in Corey Avery. Yeah. He's a decent He's running fast back. Too. He's a fast running back. He's got speed. But, again, Running game controls the clock. So whichever team can run the ball a little bit, it's not going to be a major part in this game at all. But if they can run the ball a little bit more than their opponent, that might just be enough. Running a, uh, controlling the clock is not a not a fact in this game. They don't care about the clock. <laughs> because they can score in like exactly. five Exactly. They, they don't care. Now, you're going to hate me for this. Go ahead. I, I'm wait, I knew this one. I knew you, I, you probably have a ton of notes on this game that you're about to bring up. San Diego versus North Dakota State. On paper, this is over. But but also on paper, this is a game that could go down to the end. Now, this is a rematch from last year. Same same round, North Dakota State took care of business, but South San Diego was competitive for a half. They were right in there with it. I wrote down all the ranks here for all the major categories, and I'm I'm like I'm looking for patterns. Okay, bad rushing offense against good rushing defense. This, that, and the other thing. Where the strength versus strength? I've got so many numbers circled on this thing. It looks like a tic-tac-toe board. <laughs> You're talking about two top 20 total offense right. for both teams. San Diego, number 17 in passing offense against number four passing defense in South North Dakota State. But we saw what San Diego can do. And, in, again, this wasn't Cal Poly. They put up some numbers on Northern Arizona who, for most of the year, looked like they were in control of the big sky. It looked like they were going to make a run, get nine or, eight, nine or ten wins. And they didn't do it. And you're talking about two teams that are in the top five in points per game. This could turn into a shootout. I think it could. I think San Diego's got 
Not a great chance, but I'm saying there's a chance that the Toreros pull a shock here in the second round. Now, for me, it'll be the same question I had last week about the Toreros. It's all about, from here moving forward, from last week moving forward, it's all about the line of scrimmage. Right. Can they win up front? They give, again, I know size is not a skill, but when you're constantly banging against a big body for 50 to 60 plays in a game, it can wear on you. Can they win up front? Can they get key stops? It's there's it's a multi-layered issue right here for San Diego. Getting key stops, maximizing your possessions, yep, coming away with points. Points add up. So if you can't get points, you have to flip the field position to where North Dakota State will be backed up. And you want to force them out of their tendency. If you force North Dakota State to be more of a passing team, that plays to your strength because you have athletes on the outside. Even and though the passing defense is awful, but they showed up again in last they week. They showed so. up, right. They showed up in last uh, against Northern Arizona, who has a great receiver in Marks, Elijah Marks. So you can't get into a, a heavyweight, clinched-up, body-blow contest against North Dakota State. That's what they want you to do. I'm just saying North Dakota State's got the number six rushing offense against the number five rushing defense in the country. And out of the Pioneer, oh, it's the Pioneer. You've got some very dangerous running backs in that league. You have Jacksonville that can run the ball. Jacksonville, Campbell you, runs the ball. Campbell gotta, runs the ball. Uh, Smith, who's a dual-threat quarterback who you have to contain. They've played all these guys that are – several guys that were close to 1,000 yards, if not over. And we talked about, again, on the outside edge, can Jonathan Peterson – take care of business can these guys get off the edge and with a team that runs the quarterback as much as North Dakota State does and goes around the outside a lot of the time it's going to be about containing the edge and these guys do a masterful job of doing it if they shut that down and again force them to throw we saw what happened last week if if San Diego beats North Dakota State this will be a bigger upset than App State beating Michigan That'll debunk any of that myth of strength Boy, of the conference. Boy, would that we it? Had. Because you have the strength of the Missouri Valley Conference. You just lost a non-scholarship football pioneer league. <laughs> but so. took hey, listen, the job that San Diego has done coaching <laughs> is phenomenal. Yes, their staff. If any staff you could trust to probably pull this off is their staff. They've gotten more That's out of their players. Go ahead on the call upset. Easton Stick, you go, better be ready. Go ahead, about, go ahead on record and call upset. Easton Stick, you better be ready because you're about to lose. Oh, he called upset. <laughs> North Dakota State will be in your mentions. I oh, I, I am about to be bombarded. At like, hash Browns thirty. Oh, thanks a lot. Now you're really gonna get my mentions. Get in his up. mentions. <laughs> I'm just I I again, it's not a big chance, but if they play the way they did last week with what I know that they are capable of doing defensively, there's a shot. That's all I'm saying. And I think they can take it because North Coast State's looking past them. They're looking to Frisco. That's the other thing. They're looking to Frisco. <laughs> they got their one-lane highway with no exits? That's what they think. Last game we were in the second round. I, I can hear my phone blowing up already. Weber State versus Southern Utah. <laughs> Another rematch from the regular season. Southern Utah winning this game 32-16. That's what got them the automatic bid. These teams tied for the Big Sky title. This is another one that could be right down to the wire. This is going to be a fun one. I think it, it'll come down – uh, to Patrick Tyler, the quarterback of S- Southern Utah. You know, when he's throwing the football well, their offense is cooking with Crisco, you know. Um, but I, Weber State is just so well balanced. Southern yeah. Utah, you know, they can they have some balance, but I think Tyler has to play well in order for them to have the ultimate success in winning that game. That'll be the biggest question or biggest key that I'll be looking for. These teams do mirror each other quite a bit. I mean, there's quite a lot of similarities between the two. They run a similar type of game plan, as you said. I think just Southern Utah just has a, a – they have the ability to get just a little bit more out of their possessions, and I think that's what's helped them all year long is just getting that la- one extra touchdown and just a little bit more out of that each possession where they can get a field goal if they have to. That's going to put them over the top in this game. Um, they are going to have to I – mean, we asked Weber State they would have to throw the ball last week. If they throw the ball this week, they got a shot because, I mean, Southern Utah's passing defense is not good. It's not good. Rushing game, pretty even between these two. So, again, controlling the clock, 
in this game, it could be a factor. In Sam Houston versus Sandy, South Dakota, it's not going to be a factor at all. This one, it could be because it's going to be closer than people think it's going to be. It's going to be real close, man. And again, styles make fights. We always talk about that. And you also talk about um, the rematch game. So, once again. Revenge. Revenge. Intrigue. Served cold, right? Served cold and it, served playoff style. And it's in Utah, right? <laughs> it's, it's in Utah. It's cold out there right now. It's cold. You're going to the elevation as well. It's a lot harder to breathe in Utah than people think. Um, should be a very entertaining game. Going to be a very entertaining weekend. The second round. Now, now it gets real. Now it gets re- okay. You mm-hmm. got past your little playing game. You know, this is like in the NCAA tournament. Oh, you you won in the first round. Congratulations! Now you get to play Duke. Fantastic. Good luck with this one. Um, it's going to be an entertaining weekend. I may or may or not just cause cause myself social media suicide by calling that upset in, the, in that game. I'm um, telling you, North Dakota State will be in your mentions, man. <laughs> uh, let's hope they don't listen too much to the show. They will <laughs> camp out and set up them RVs. And somebody will be wearing that bison head, like just camped out waiting for you with a, with a trident. I will say this though: shout out to North Dakota. They have they have some extremely passionate fans, which I'm always I'm always very that's very important to me, uh, especially as a soccer fan as well. Having that passionate support, so I could take it. You know, whatever you want. They're to a dish Big Twelve out. team too, just the, like I said. JMU is a conference USA. Bingo. North Dakota State is a Big 12 Bingo. I, the only thing I have against you, Bison, is that you won too much. <laughs> <laughs> they I, won at the Division II level, too. So I'm, I'm a fan of the underdog, and when the team starts like that, there's a reason I want Alabama out of the playoff in the FBS. They just win too much. <laughs> Give me somebody different. I just want a little bit of a different flavor. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, Emery, what do you got coming up this week? Obviously, you're, you're, in, a, you're in relaxed. You're in casual mode. Yeah, I'm you're, in casual mode, man. I, you know, I have no more broadcasts, so uh, I get to rest. It was weird to not – be calling the game this weekend because you, you doing did it. it. You doing it from your armchair? You just, you just call games no, from your armchair? I, I, I sit in complete silence. <laughs> Unless Gus Johnson is calling the game, then I have all the – all the <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Gus Johnson can narrate a chemistry test and make it sound exciting. So, But <laughs> this weekend, um, I, I don't think I'll be anywhere. Honestly, I think I may have – looking at my calendar, I think I have it clear. Now, I may be on – I may come out of retirement. Uh, and and call a, a high school game this weekend, uh, a championship game in Virginia. But we don't know yet, so well, we'll see. Well, I'll tell you what, if you're not busy, the Cajuns could use your help in for trying to get to a bowl game. They need one more win. So. They disappointed me last week. I <laughs> thought I – I because the toughest game I thought they had in this remaining three-game stretch was the New Mexico State game. I was like, man, if they can beat New Mexico State, then the App State game won't matter. Completely bypassing Georgia Southern. Because I knew they were going to beat them. Yep. And they go ahead on Cajun style and lose to Georgia Southern. Extra spicy. Folks, this has been the SES Opening <laughs> Drive Podcast. Emery, thank you so much as always. Enjoy your weekend off. Enjoy the game like the rest of us, folks. I will. All these games are available on the ESPN app, ESPN3. Check it out, folks. I mean, you, you don't have too much FBS football coming up this weekend. you got title games to look forward to. But you kind of know how those are going to go, right? I, I think. I mean, this is this is a lot more intriguing a lot more fun to watch and you get to be that guy when the draft rolls around and say yep i knew he was going to be good yeah i knew he was going to be picked in the third round Uh, how did you know that i watched fcs football be the smart people folks watch the fcs watch the second round of the playoffs it's going to be a lot of fun could be a lot of intrigue for david hassagan for emory hunt thank you so much for listening have a good week getting his mentions